The impact of the coronavirus is being felt on every continent of the world, and there's no sign of the pandemic abating. In fact, things are still heating up. This is my first COVID-19 update since my initial thoughts on the virus were shared on episode 268, and I welcome you to the special bonus episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I love having this opportunity to use this platform to educate and inform you, The Nurse Keith Nation, so that you can take any information you find useful here and share it with those you care about. I'll be regularly publishing episodes related solely to the COVID-19 pandemic. There will be no corporate sponsors, no advertising of my coaching business, and this is solely about education and information as a public service. Please share far and wide if you feel these episodes are a valuable approach to our response to the virus. The show notes for this episode can be found at nursekeith.com forward slash COVID-19-1. You know, like I said just a moment ago, I'll be regularly publishing episodes related to COVID-19 because things are evolving quickly. It seems like every time I think I have a handle on what's going on with the virus, what's going on with the response, how things are kind of moving and evolving around the world, something new happens, some new piece of information comes out. I am spending hours a day educating myself because I want to be able to educate you, the people in my immediate community here in Santa Fe, my audience and tribe out there on the social media world and elsewhere. Everyone I encounter gives me an opportunity to educate and inform and to quell fear and help people to see this logically and use the science, not the fear and the conspiracy theories to make sure they understand what's going on and how they can best protect themselves and the ones who they love. So I'm glad you're here with me. Yes, this will be an ongoing pandemic for quite some time to come, as far as we know. I am recording this episode on Sunday, March 15th, 2020, just so that you know when this was done, so that if anything is out of date, you'll understand why. So on the social and economic impact of the virus, I am also tuning into that just because I am interested as a citizen to understand what's going out there. Of course, one of my first concerns is for anyone who's infected, anyone who's in contact with someone infected, and for anyone out there who's afraid. And fear fear seems to be the common denominator around the world right now. I have a lot of concerns for frontline healthcare providers. I am hearing from nurses around the country. I'm reading articles, seeing interviews on the news, hearing things on the radio that nurses around the country, especially here in the U.S., I don't know what's happening in other countries, but here, man, it seems like nurses are crying into the wilderness that they don't have the protective equipment they need to protect themselves and the patients and their colleagues. Nurses are being told they don't need respirators. They're being denied even N95 masks in certain circumstances. And some organizations, you know, clinics, hospitals, 
healthcare facilities, et cetera, are responding well. Others are saying, well, you know, let the patients come in and get triaged, and if they're sick, we'll stick them in a room away from everyone else. That is not a very smart response. People should be screened outside and then sent through a separate entrance to isolation, but this is not happening. If you are having such a problem at your workplace, I would really like to know because I want to kind of keep my finger on the pulse here. So if you have a story to tell me, we can record it for others to hear if you would like to do that, or you can just write to me, or we can just talk. Please email me at keith at nursekeith.com if anything is going on out there that makes you uncomfortable or afraid, or you think it's absolutely illegal, immoral, unethical, etc. And I would like to talk about that here on air. I'm just trying to take a straw poll of my listeners, that's you, in terms of the safety and the response to the pandemic at your workplace. So if you have a story, please let me know. If you're willing to record it with me, that would be awesome, but that is not necessary. I just want some information, anecdotal stories from you. Another area of grave concern for me and many people I know and many people I'm listening to is the poor and the working poor and the homeless. So uh, I don't even know where to begin. If we think about the economic impact of this virus, there are millions of, well, let's say Americans, let's just focus here for the moment, millions of Americans who rely on a paycheck every week to make ends meet. Possibly for many of them, countless of them, a paycheck every week doesn't make ends meet. Many of them have no access to credit and credit cards. Many have no savings because the cost of living has far outstripped wages in this country for far too long. Don't get me started. And we have problems with people who are the working poor or middle class people even who their children are being kept home from school. They can't afford childcare. Their children may get their only meal of the day at school. Schools are closed in many states and cities and municipalities. And now what are those kids going to eat? The stores are being stripped bare. Food is getting harder to find in certain areas, especially, I bet, food deserts in the urban, suburban, and rural areas around the country and in other countries as well. And I am worried about people going hungry, about children not having enough food to eat, and about the isolation, fear, and panic that sets in when someone who has $50 in their bank account, they've been laid off because let's say they wash dishes at a restaurant that has no customers. Of course, they're not getting paid when they're not working. And what are these people going to do? I also worry about the homeless. Think about Seattle, San Francisco, Boston, Atlanta, everywhere where there were tent cities here in the United States of tens of thousands of homeless people living in close quarters who have no access or little access to health care, probably don't have primary care providers, of course, and their access to food and medical care. Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to make sure that they're okay? Who's going to make sure they have enough food? Who's going to make sure they stay warm enough if they have a fever or chills or they're very sick? I worry about the children, the homeless. I also worry about undocumented people who probably have also lost their jobs. 
probably also obviously have no credit. They also cannot access, feel they cannot access healthcare because they're afraid if they test positive for the coronavirus, they'll be deported. These are unfound fears at this moment, as far as I know. But what about all of our undocumented people out there? How are they going to get taken care of? So this is a socioeconomic disaster. Some economists who I've been tuning into are saying that we're not headed for another 2008. We're not headed for another 1987. And we could, I'm saying could, be heading towards another 1929, which was the great stock market crash that triggered the Great Depression. I'm not trying to instill fear. I'm not trying to be a... I'm not trying to be someone who is saying everything's going to hell in a handbasket and there's no use even trying. I'm just saying we need to be prepared and circumspect about what is actually happening here. And we need to look out for our neighbors and communities and loved ones because things are likely to get much worse before they begin to get better. Now, on an entirely different track... Let me talk about what I have learned on one aspect of the physiology of this virus, COVID-19, this novel coronavirus that sprang up in late 2019 in the Wuhan district of China. In the New York Times, there was a recent article that will be linked in the show notes about how the coronavirus hijacks your cells. I said in my first episode about the coronavirus, episode 268, that I wasn't going to talk about the science because there's so many people out there smarter than me, but I feel like it's my responsibility to distill what I'm learning and bring you just what I think is the most important salient information that I know is evidence-based. So there will be some scientific updates here, contrary to what I said during episode 268. This is a moving target for me as much as you and the rest of the world, and I'm still trying to figure out the best way for me to respond as a public figure who I feel I feel like I carry a responsibility to use this platform as a place to educate and inform you and those you care about. So I'm going to read you most of the excerpts that I've bookmarked here from this New York Times article. Again, you can find it in the show notes. So here goes. I'll let you know when the quote is over. The coronavirus is named after the crown-like spikes that protrude from its surface. The virus is enveloped in a bubble of oily lipid molecules, which falls apart on contact with soap. The virus enters the body through the nose, mouth, or eyes, then attaches to cells in the airway that produces a protein called ACE2. The virus is believed to have originated in bats, where it may have attached to a similar protein. The virus infects the cell by fusing its oily membrane with the membrane of the cell. Once inside, the coronavirus releases a snippet of genetic material called RNA. The virus's genome is less than 30,000 genetic letters long. Ours is over 3 billion. The infected cell reads the RNA and begins making proteins that will keep the immune system at bay and help assemble new copies of the virus. Antibiotics kill bacteria and do not work against viruses, but researchers are testing antiviral drugs that might disrupt viral proteins and stop the infection. As the infection progresses, the machinery of the cell begins to churn out new spikes and other proteins that will form more copies of the coronavirus. 
New copies of the virus are assembled and carried to the outer edges of the cell. Each infected cell can release millions of copies of the virus before the cell finally breaks down and dies. The viruses may infect nearby cells and or end up in droplets that escape the lungs. Most COVID-19 infections cause a fever as the immune system fights to clear the virus. In severe cases, the immune system can overreact and start attacking lung cells. The lungs become obstructed with fluid and dying cells, making it difficult to breathe. A small percentage of infections can lead to acute respiratory distress syndrome and possible death. Coughing and sneezing can expel virus-laden droplets onto nearby people and surfaces when the virus can remain infectious for several hours to several days. The CDC recommends that people diagnosed with COVID-19 wear masks to reduce the release of viruses. Healthcare workers and others who care for infected people should wear masks too. A future vaccine could help the body produce antibodies that target this SARS-CoV-2 virus and prevent it from infecting human cells. The flu vaccine works in a similar way, but antibodies generated from a flu vaccine do not protect against coronavirus. Soap destroys the virus when the water-shunning tails of the soap molecules wedge themselves into the lipid membrane and pry it apart. The best way to avoid getting infected with the coronavirus is to wash your hands with soap, avoid touching your face, keep your distance from sick people, and regularly clean frequently used surfaces. That's the end of the quote. So, if you were looking for a relatively simple explanation of how the virus what would we say, how the virus behaves inside the human body, this is a pretty good description from the New York Times. And if you go to the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash COVID-19-1, you can actually copy this description, email it to someone, print it, share it with someone, etc. And you can also find the link to this actual New York Times article, and you can share the link as well. And I would appreciate, and I think the New York Times would appreciate, if you credited them for this information. Now, one more thing I wanted to say about this article is that they're excellent visuals. So if you're a visual learner or you want to show someone what this actually looks like, because for a person who may not have much medical knowledge or is uneducated in physiology and microbiology, which is most people, then these visual images will help them to visualize this, to picture it in their minds, and maybe gain even that more understanding of what's going on in the body of an infected person. So please do me the favor, the New York Times favor, of crediting them with this particular piece of information. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about the response that we're seeing out there or the lack thereof. Here in the United States, there's still too little testing. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, I've been watching some interviews with him. He is a CNN. I think he's the medical correspondent for CNN. And yeah, he's a celebrity doc, but he knows what he's talking about for the most part. I don't trust him implicitly because I look at and listen to and watch everything critically, but I'm hearing some pretty good information from Dr. Gupta. When he was on Stephen Colbert recently, he was talking about the lack of testing. And when I've seen charts online or on the news of how much testing the U.S. has done compared to, say, South Korea or China, we are paling in comparison 
by thousands or tens of thousands or millions. At the height of their growing pandemic in South Korea and China, they were testing like 10,000 people a day. And a lot of public health officials and epidemiologists are saying we should be doing massive random testing, not just as the CDC is recommending testing people with a dry cough and a high fever. At some clinics and hospitals are saying, well, we're not going to test anyone with a wet cough because it's only a dry cough. But I have some fears here. Remember during that description of how the COVID-19 virus hijacks your cells and begins basically making millions of copies of itself? Well, this is an RNA virus. And remember HIV? I've had a lot of you remember HIV because it's still around. And back in the day when I was in the HIV world in the late 80s and well, actually no, in the 90s, we learned that it mutates because it's an RNA virus. And HIV is an RNA reverse transcriptase virus. I don't think COVID-19 is, but I can't get that confirmed. But still, they're quite similar in their molecular activity from my slightly educated purview. My concern, and I'm not hearing a lot about this, is what about mutations of this virus as it circles the globe and gets into many, many, many bodies who are different, and as the virus begins to figure out how it can replicate itself even more, because that's what viruses and bacteria do, right? They want to live just like we do. So they're trying to figure out how to spread themselves as far as they can and, you know, take the species further. So what about mutations? If we're saying right now that a wet cough is not a sign of coronavirus, what if that changes? What if a high fever no longer becomes the cardinal sign of coronavirus? What if another set of symptoms evolve, but we're not doing enough testing to understand? So for my, again, not that highly educated viewpoint, I believe we should be doing massive random testing so that we catch people just as they get the virus, just as they develop mild symptoms, and then we can track scientifically how the virus is working so that we can gain more understanding of it. This is probably happening in labs somewhere around the world. I'm just not hearing about it. So if you've heard about it, please email me, keith at nursekeith.com, if you have a reference for me, because I want to understand if they're talking about mutations and what the risk is. But I digress. So I also want to talk about the fact that in terms of our response, in China, where they're really getting control over this virus, they recently built a 1,000-bed coronavirus hospital in how many days? 10 days. You can see the time-lapse video online. I'll try to find a link to one of those articles and videos to put in the show notes. They used modular, very modern 21st century construction techniques, and they worked 24-7 for 10 days with a massive workforce, and they built a 1,000-bed state-of-the-art hospital in 10 days. In Seattle, the epicenter of the epidemic here in the United States, what are they using for hospital overflow because they're expecting hospitals to become overwhelmed? They're commandeering old motels and RVs where people who don't necessarily need hospital care can be housed. We are not building special hospitals. We are not building 
isolation centers. We are commandeering RVs and motels because this is the United States and we are not responding with the rapidity that is happening in China and South Korea where testing and response has been astronomically exponentially greater than ours. And we are apparently not learning from their mistakes and their successes for one reason, because our government, you know, our country is so individualistic. We think everything here is the best and we don't need to learn from others. And I think that is part of our problem and part of the way in which this virus is unfolding unchecked at the moment here in the U.S. Now, again, these are my opinions. You might differ. And if you do differ, please email me at Keith at NurseKeith.com and tell me what you're seeing out there. But this is what I'm seeing, feeling, and hearing. And my gut tells me that things are not happening here the way they should be. So the mixed messaging out there is also a problem. We're hearing some things from the president who is, let me say, often contradicting his own healthcare officials. I don't want to get political here, but there's a lot happening out there that's confusing. The misinformation from the government, the conspiracy theories online, which there's always conspiracy theorists, and I wish they'd find something better to do with their time. And there are also people out there taking advantage of the situation for their own gain. So the mixed messaging is definitely confusing people and sowing extra fear. So you, as a healthcare provider, as an educated person who is looked to as a highly trusted professional here in the U.S. or in any country where you live, I'm just focusing on what's happening here in the U.S. because it's what I understand most, but I know some of you are listening from India, China, Turkey, Australia, Canada, Europe. I hear you. I see you. I just don't know as much about what's going on out there as I know is going on here within our borders. And I know we are paling in comparison to what's happening in many of your countries. So those of you in China, Hong Kong, Singapore, where things are a little more buttoned up and the response is more robust and evidence-based, let's say possibly, let me know what's going on there. I'd love to hear from you too. I'm monitoring the BBC. I'm monitoring international news, but still, I want to understand more of what's happening around the world so that possibly maybe I can have an inkling of influence on one person who might be able to do something differently. So one last thing, I'm hearing about a lot of younger people who feel, you know, it's normal to feel invincible. And yes, people from 20 and under are much, much less apt to get sick from this virus. They can carry it and be 100% asymptomatic and spread it all around and shed virus everywhere they go. But they're mostly, mostly not going to get sick. And I'm going to insert an asterisk here until there are mutations. So young people are still clamoring to go on spring break. And we can't blame the places in Fort Lauderdale and all around where kids on spring break go for wanting the kids to come because, you know, a lot of businesses are going under right now because no one is spending money out there at hotels and bars and restaurants and for airfare, etc. I recently heard that you can fly to Europe for the United States one way for less than $100. So... What young person wouldn't want to say, hey, let's go backpack around Europe because it's $49 to get there and there's no one out there. But the risk here is one, we don't know if young people 
won't start to get sick. There are a lot of young people with underlying health conditions. And young people can carry this virus back home to their loved ones who are vulnerable. They can carry it to people in restaurants and anywhere they happen to go, on planes, in hotels, in Fort Lauderdale on the boardwalk when they sit next to some nice elderly woman and have a chat and they're shedding virus all over that person. So an opinion piece from a medical doctor in Europe in Newsweek was published, I think, about a week ago as of this recording. And it's linked in the show notes. And it's called Young and Afraid of the Coronavirus Pandemic? Good for you. Now stop killing people. And I'm going to read you a little excerpt from this opinion piece in Newsweek before I say goodbye and let you go. Quote, We are still awaiting the peak of the epidemic in Europe, probably early April for Italy, mid-April for Germany and Switzerland, somewhere around that time in the UK, and in the US, the infection has only just begun. But until we're past the peak, the only solution is to impose social restrictions. And if your government is hesitating, these restrictions are up to you. Stay put. Do not travel. Cancel that family reunion, the promotion party, and the big night out. This really sucks, but these are special times. Don't take risks. Do not go to places where you are more than 20 people in the same room. It's not safe, and it's not worth it. But why the urgency if most people survive? Here's why. Fatality is the wrong yardstick. Catching the virus can mess up your life in many, many more ways than just straight up killing you. We're all young. Okay, even if we get the bug, we'll survive. Fantastic. How about needing four months of physical therapy before you even feel human again? Or getting scar tissue in your lungs and having your activity level restricted for the rest of your life? Not to mention having every chance of catching another bug in hospital while you're being treated or waiting to get checked with an immune system distracted even by the false alarm of an ordinary flu. No travel for leisure or business is worth the risk. Now, odds are you might catch coronavirus and might not even get symptoms. Great. Good for you. Very bad for everyone else, from your own grandparents to the random older person who got on the subway train a stop or two after you got off. You're fine. You're barely even sneezing or coughing, but you're walking around and you kill a couple of old ladies without even knowing it. Is that fair? You tell me. My personal as well as professional view, we all have a duty to stay put, except for very special reasons, like you go to work because you work in healthcare, or you have to save a life and bring someone to hospital, or go out to shop for food so you can survive. But when we get to this stage of a pandemic, it's really important not to spread the bug. The only thing that helps is social restriction. Ideally, the government should issue that instruction and provide a financial fallback, compensate business owners, ease the financial load on everyone as much as possible, and reduce the incentive of risking your life or the lives of others just to make ends meet. But if your government or company is slow on the uptake, don't be that person. Take responsibility for all but essential movement. Restrict yourself. This is Epidemiology 101. It really sucks. It's extreme. But luckily, we don't have pandemics of this violence every year. So sit it out. Stay put. Don't travel. It is absolutely not worth it. It's the civic and moral duty of every person everywhere to take part in the global effort to reduce this threat to humanity, to postpone any movement or travel that is not vitally essential, and to spread the disease as little as possible. Have your fun in June, July, and August when this, 
hopefully, is over. Stay safe. Good luck. Unquote. So there you have it. If you want to share that with a young person who wants to go on spring break, please do. If they want to talk to Nurse Keith, give them my email address and I will try to disabuse them of the opinion that they're invincible and that there's no problem if they go on spring break and spread the virus everywhere. So we have responsibilities as healthcare providers. We have responsibilities as citizens of the world, not just the United States or Canada or Singapore or Hong Kong or the Netherlands. We have a responsibility as citizens of the world. Protect ourselves. We have to protect ourselves that we can be effective and productive healthcare providers and educators, etc. And we need to educate, educate, educate ourselves and others. So there you have it. Thanks for listening to this special COVID-19 bonus episode of The Nurse Keith Show, and there will be many more to come, I'm afraid. And remember that the show notes can be found and shared at nursekeith.com forward slash the word COVID-19-1. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode, and I encourage you to take inspired action every day to educate, inform, and calm your friends, family, loved ones, colleagues, and members of your wider community. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, who is kindly producing these episodes free of charge to me as a public service to members of the Nurse Keith Nation, that's you, and those who share this information far and wide. Thank you, Rob. That is just so very generous. I also want to thank Mark Cappy Spiesen, our stalwart social media ringmaster who is helping me spread the word by keeping you informed about the COVID-19 outbreak via our many online platforms, social media, and the newsletter at nursekeith.com. Stay safe, stay informed, and be the nurse who does the right thing in the face of COVID-19. And this is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. <laughs>